easily take um, a series to go into, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but just to say that what Paul understood about the Lord is what God wants us to understand, and that Paul would be the one who disciples us. And so as you listen to these words, uh, I'm grateful that you're here and you're going to be a recipient of these things and, and the Holy Spirit is going to do a work. And so uh, we're going to go into this topic about desiring what God desires for us. It's this joy of doing God's will. And so the, the verses that Allison would read would be that the way the world thinks and the way the, the Word thinks the living word, are two, two different cultures. And so stepping into the presence of God, you step into one who is the most free of all men. Jesus Christ walked on this world as, a fallen, as fallen as it is, but he was perfectly free. He said, who of you convicts me of sin? Jesus never, ever worried about somebody pointing the finger at him and said, you did me wrong. Jesus, you are false. Jesus, you, Jesus never had those preoccupations what, what, with what people thought about him. Why? Because he was free. He was free to move, knowing that in his relationship with the Father, his Father understood and Jesus understood the Father. When the Father said, this is my son, I delight in him, hear ye him. Jesus had such a secure relationship with the Father because he had no sin in his life. There was a time at the table right before the crucifixion, right after this communion time, when Jesus would say to the men, after Judas went out, he says, come now, the ruler of this world comes. My time is at hand. He says, but the ruler of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. There is nothing that Satan could do to hook Jesus. No, no fallen part of his soul that Jesus would, uh, Satan said, I'm gonna take advantage of this weakness. Why don't you cast yourself off this cliff? It is written. If you're hungry, make bread. It is written. I'll give you these things. It is written. Jesus was the most free man at peace, full of grace everywhere he went. And he did so because he was free to desire to please God in every corner, every step he took. Well, we have the privilege of learning from a man who was not like Jesus, but who came to know the same Christ and came to know the same freedom as Paul would say, for now we really live in Christ. You get a taste of that freedom, that taste of what Paul understood. He passed on to the Thessalonians and said, since you are standing firm in the Lord, you are growing in that freedom. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy? The joy of seeing people freed up to walk in their world without the self-absorption, without the competition, without the trying to impress or 
or keep up with the Joneses or, or to prove anything. Men and women set free. And Paul would pray, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Because you're not perfect, you still need friends to come alongside. John had the same idea. So Peter, John, uh, as you <coughs> um, join Paul, Peter said it, or John said it this way, I have no greater joy. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You also have no greater sadness to hear that your children are not walking in the truth. But the idea that Paul, as the apostle of the heart set free, really is saying to the Thessalonians, and and God is saying to you and me today, Jerry, I want your heart free to be like my son. And therefore, as we move into this idea, I want to give you, um, condition you like Pavlov would do the dog and the bell. Uh, I want to have you think about a word in a certain way that you begin to attach a meaning that I think is more biblical than maybe some of the images that you have. And the word is, the big word is sanctification. You don't use that word in your daily life and nobody knows that word. It's a technical word that we'll look at. But the word I want to associate with that is what I've been talking about is the freedom. Not just the personal freedom to be free, but the freedom to do God's will, that which is good, acceptable and pleasing. And therefore, when you hear Paul speak, Paul is speaking as an apostle. Paul is speaking not as one who was a disciple like the 12 who walked with Jesus, but his immediate conversion was with the glorified risen Lord. And as Paul saw the glorified and risen Lord call him into the ministry to go to the Gentiles and take the good news of the risen Lord that what he did on the cross was for the Gentiles as well. 20 times Paul refers to himself as apostle, as apostle, as apostle with authority, with authority. And therefore, he would write to the the Thessalonians in four, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you as an apostle and to know that they received that instruction because they had had three chapters, one, two, and three, in 1 Thessalonians to establish that Paul wasn't out there to do some seminar He wasn't out there to do some uh, seminary course uh, or to some conference event. He was out there to help people move in a way that God wanted them to move. And Paul understood that. I want you to learn how to live in order to please God. That's my ambition, Paul would say. That's our goal. And so Keep in mind, as in fact you are actually living, Paul said this to maturing Christians in Thessalonians. They were doing great. These were, these were maturing people. This, this was a loving church, and they were doing well. And we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions, there it is again, we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So these are not Paul's ideas. And Paul is simply passing on a message about the gospel. And we know uh, from, from 
understanding other times when Paul would go into different churches that the gospel means several things. But primarily it means that if you are saved, if you are saved, it means you have a, a restored relationship with Christ. Salvation means that the birth of faith, you were born again, now you've been introduced into the kingdom of God, the, the, the whole paradise of light, and that you walk with Christ, you don't walk in darkness because you have been saved from that lifestyle. But that, that restored relationship is salvation. But the second part is the big word, sanctification. That sanctification means improved relationship. It means that just as a child goes into first grade, he didn't stay in first grade the whole time, he improves his learning and he graduates and he moves from glory to glory, from grade to grade, as Paul would say. So you understand the image is that you just don't get saved and you got your get out of jail card free and die and go to heaven. The idea that Paul understood is that you don't think of salvation as getting your debt paid and to go to heaven. And we pray, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. When? Now. We believe that heaven has interrupted broken into, interfered, disrupts this fallen world. And by the gospel of Jesus Christ, something radically happens in the human soul when the Holy Spirit in Christ comes in and says, you don't have to live like that any longer. But you can have new life in Christ. And that new life in Christ is not only being saved from the guilt and the judgment, that's taken care of on the cross. We know that. That in, in the work of Christ that he did on the cross, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because heaven has broken down, has come down and given to you a taste what that forgiveness means. You know with assurance you can be forgiven. And that's the assurance that when you die, you will go to heaven because of the work of Christ on the cross. But the sanctification part is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit comes down and brings heaven to us to understand that that which Christ did on the cross means to set us free from sin, set us free from the judgment, but to set us free from death. It means heaven makes us alive in Christ, and in Christ we are now free, sanctified, to move like Christ did in the fallen world. This is an amazing, amazing message. And at a time when our world really needs to hear this message, many Christians are losing confidence in this message. So said John Stott. When you understand that salvation is restored relationship, sanctification is improving relationship, and when you die, it's glorified. My friend who passed last week, is in glory. It's perfected relationship. Nothing of the earth, 
no sadness as we sang, no sorrow as we trust and obey. Well, she, she has no trouble with faith because the bridegroom has embraced the bride. She's there. Mona's enjoying that. And that's the same promise for you and me. Saved, restored, sanctified, improved, glorified, coming in. But as you talk about this, as you, as you read about this, as you think about this, what sanctification means in different denominations means different things. We all understand this process, but how you get sanctified varies from church to church. And I'm not going to go too much in depth in this, except to say that we're not all in agreement, the fact of how it happens. But here's four views. One is you understand, as you look at this, not, don't look at this, there you go, uh, that, that for the Methodist or the Wesleyan or the Arminian perspective, that sometimes they think that salvation is you get the grace in Christ on the cross, and then you go, and then depending on which group you're with, there has to be a second work, something else supposed to take place. If you've been baptized, if you accepted Christ, you've been, you have to be baptized in the Spirit, or you, may have, you have to have a second work of grace that God does something new. There's different approaches, and John Wesley was very, very clear on this. They says, while acknowledging that the primary word of sanctified means you've been set apart, we know that we've been set apart because we're called by Christ. But it also means that there's something else beyond being set apart. It means that there's a change in our relationship with our old lifestyle. And for Paul, and everyone would agree according to this passage, that to understand sanctification, to understand the freedom is not just to understand the sanctification and the freedom process. It's to understand the goal. The goal of sanctification is just not to make you holy. The goal of sanctification, the goal of holiness, is to make you free to love. That's what you need to hear. That what we hear in terms of different churches teaching about growing in Christ or keeping ethical commitments and, and being bound by this uh, book, it's the heart of this apostle set free that says that the holiness is to give you the freedom in order to love. How that works out is different. With the Wesleyans, they have, with Wesley, it's a cra- grace comes and then the work comes by grace. But the, there's another group and the Puritans and the, and the Keswick movement. A lot of people out of Europe had this movement where, where God does more than just salvation. You accept Jesus. But when you accept Jesus, there's more to it than just believing in Jesus dying for your sin. It's about this surrender to Christ. And therefore, different Groups will have different focuses that you can't have Jesus as your Savior without having Jesus as your Lord. And if you try to live the Christian life without the Lordship of Christ, you need to surrender everything to Christ. And the Spirit of God will help you do that. And therefore, in order to have victory in Christ, you have to have this exchange life. And so there's a lot of different focuses in this group. But they're all good groups. Here's another way that the, a, a reformer, um, the reformed view is that 
growth in grace is a gradual process. And that what God works on the cross, the Spirit works in your heart. But little bit by little bit, sanctification takes place over a period of time because you're praying, because you're in the Word, because you're in fellowship, because you're, you're growing in Christ. And so it's a gradual thing. And the last one is you have another perspective that, uh, again, there's, uh, depending on which which group or author you read, you have a, a spiritual world and a fleshly world, and I, here's the word I don't like, is the word carnal, that you hear people falling away or they messed up and they're no longer attending church. Well, the idea that you can lose your salvation or you've been back in the world, but you accept Christ as your Savior, but as you go on, you, you get to the point of making Christ king on your heart. Well, all this, say, all this is to say is that there's movement. If you're a Christian, you're moving towards that freedom of love. And for Paul, that's what it means. And if you understand that as you get into this passage today, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. In Paul, Paul said, it's not about you. It's about God in Christ doing the work on earth. And when Paul would say, this one is the God-man, the man-God, who really has everything in human form. And Paul goes on to the next step that this Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, gives you this ability to look at your life and say that I've been reconciled with Christ, but I am in Christ. And, and he says, if anyone is in Christ, the, uh, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, behold, all things become new. That's the technical word is soteriology. You'll forget that one. But just those who are in the uh, theological world will want to hear that one because they know that the discussions about the growth and, and the differences in the Christian churches will be about this theme. How do you grow in Christ? How does the Spirit work in Christ, in the believer, in the Christian? But, but Paul was very clear. Since you then have been raised with Christ, and this is our, our baptism, if you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. And for Paul, it's not about have to do these things. It's a desire change that I want what God wants. And that takes place when you meet Christ and Christ introduces you to this freedom to please God. And so Paul will go on to say, uh, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, so set your minds on the things above, not on the earthly things, for you died. You died, and your new life is hidden in Christ. He would go on to say, and again, this is the theme you'll see all the way through the mission work of Paul, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the old man, the flesh, the unsanctified fallen person, the old Adam. So when temptation comes, don't send the old man to the door to answer. But this new life in Christ, it says, is different. 
And it will address those issues of the flesh because the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. So Paul says, put them to death. Let the spirit of God help you murder, kill, destroy those things that are murdering, killing, and destroying your soul, your freedom, your faith. That's a supernatural work. And the Spirit of God comes in and he points out to Paul, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. There will be consequences of these things and you'll see them in your life here and you'll see them at the judgment seat. But you used to walk in these ways, past tense, in the light that you once lived. But, Colossians 3, but, and you always pay attention to after the but because that's the most important part. You must also rid yourself of such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and, get this, you have been, and you have put on the new self, which is being, being, be, did I say being? That's the sanctifying work. You're being renewed restored, changing, transforming, exploring, discovering, learning, growing in the knowledge of the image of the creator. And therefore, in this passage, Paul is saying in 1 Thess 4 that the true measure of sanctification is not about ethics or about behavior or about doctrine, The true message of behavior is your freedom to walk in love in the image of Christ. And the issue of, if you look at behavior, you look at, is this loving? Is this freedom? And that's what Paul wants you to say uh, here. So he says in the first part of our passage today, uh, finally, brethren, uh, we request and exhort you that as you receive from us this instruction as how to walk and please God that you actually do walk in these things, that you excel still more. For you know what commandment we have, we gave you by the authority. For this is the will of God that you abstain. Uh, this is the will of God, uh, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Holiness and honor. Underline those things. Because it says, not in the lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in these things in the matter because the Lord is the avenger. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So what Paul is saying here in this passage to the Thessalonians is something amazing for me. Because what Paul does is he takes this great theme of the kingdom coming in and he particularly emphasizes it, contextualizes it to the problem of the Thessalonians. What you don't know and you wouldn't know until you do some extra biblical studies that in Thessalonians there was a culture, a cult 
of sexual worship. It was a cult uh, called the Kabiri, and the Kabiri cult would have sex involved in the church worship. So if you were in the seaport town of Thessalonica and you were a woman, your husband might say, well, you won't go down to the temple and serve those sailors who are coming off the ships. It was common in that culture to have an, a, a low view of marriage where Paul is saying, no, no, no. You want to have an idea of being free from any kind of cult-like influence and they institutionalized that as did Corinth. You will get into that later. But the idea for Paul is that that if you're going to walk in this freedom in your culture, in the fallen Thessalonica town, you're going to run into some tensions of people criticizing you, of your being pressured, pressured to follow the world. And that's why Paul says, don't be conformed to the Thessalonian culture but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may do this will of God that sanctifies your mind that you be free and pleasing to God. But notice the issue, the only issue here at the beginning of this Thessalonian group growth is sexuality. And the Bible isn't mute or afraid to speak on this issue because this was going to choke the Christians if they didn't get this issue down. It's choking us today because we have forgotten the work of the cross, the work of the Spirit, and we are following the ways of the world. Every culture, without exception, has sins that are endemic, institutionalized, accepted. If you go into some Latin cultures, bribery at the border, you just pay into the table. In some cultures, deceit and lying is normalized. If you go to Russia. If you go into certain cultures, uh, you'll find that that you allow for certain sins and you don't address them. In our culture, we don't talk about overeating. In our culture, we don't talk about living together. In our culture, we don't talk about affairs. In our culture, we kindly dismiss those things that are kind of unpolite to say. When you talk about sexuality and homosexuality and transgender, we don't talk about those things. They're endemic and they're killing us. And Paul says, you are no longer free. If you're going to walk according to the flesh, you'll reap the consequences according to the flesh because God is not mocked. But understand, it's not loving and it's not being sanctified if you're moving back this way. And so Paul would particularly address this issue of sexuality, and I believe the Holy Spirit does that in each and every culture and generation since then. But hear what Paul says. The goal of this sexuality, this freedom sanctified, is that you learn how to manage your own vessel. Men, you know how to be a man. Because you're free to be a man that's not just free to be the man, it's free to be the man that's loving another woman. 
and don't defraud your brother. Because in a Mediterranean society, it'd be so easy to go in and hug each other, give a holy kiss, and be warm, and find yourself lusting after a sister, lusting after a brother. And Paul said, nope, Christians, you've got to take care of this issue. Manage yourself, learn how to control your vessel, your body, but you walk in freedom and don't defraud, don't set up expectations, don't flirt, don't do away with those things so that you will not be caught up in those things, but be free. And that's what he is getting at here in this passage. God's will is for you to be free from the sin that's going to destroy your soul. Well, the second thing Paul's going to get into as he gets into next week is the fact that not only will you be walking in love, walking in freedom and walking in love and walking in honesty, we want you to have this assurance of what it means to have hope. And the second coming of Christ and the end of times is that which informs people that, hey, if you're only going to have a secular worldview and this is all you get and you better get as much as you can, Paul says, your focus is too narrow, too low. You need to understand what happens about death and dying. You need to understand the hope in Christ. And therefore, Paul is going to go into that next week. But for now, all we need to know is this. That sanctification means your freedom to love people. Your freedom not to be absorbed in your needs or your fears. It's your freedom to walk like Jesus walked. And you want that. He wants that for you. And so for us to have those desires that God desires for me, it's a call out to the Holy Spirit and say, help me grow in passion for purity. Help me to be free from myself so I can love others like you do. That's the message for the Thessalonians. It's the message for us. It's the message that the world needs to hear. So we put off the old, we put on the new. And in that newness, we can take that message into prison anywhere we go because we have good news that you don't have to live like this. You can have new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, there's so much about this. We know that your influence by the Holy Spirit will change the flesh. And there's so much that uh, we don't know that we just need you to be the steering wheel and let the Spirit of God guide us. Thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you that we have grace all the way through. And thank you that you really are interested in our lives more than we are. But thank you for this word, and thank you that you're going to do the same thing in our lives as you did in the Thessalonians. So Father, we praise you for this, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.